Okay, in the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. So we are still discussing the problem of evil in the world. To, to segue from what you just mentioned. Um, so what we tried to give until now is a number of very general high-level answers that should apply to the big objections that one may have or may hear about why there are so many evils and problems in the world. We gave a little bit of a context piece last time we met just to make sure that the reason why we're spending a little bit more time on this topic is clear to everyone by looking at the problem from different angles. And we can do a quick recap of that. So the intent from today <coughs> is that we start drilling into the very concrete problems. Because I think we gave the high-level stuff. And we gave the generic answers. Now we want to start talking about Maybe a little bit more concretely, practically speaking, and what people are actually going through in their lives, and give more of an answer than just, you know, it's a play on words and it's not really evil. And okay, so these are the very high level, let's say, more philosophical answers. But there are answers that are more concrete, and, you know, we go into the details. But before we give them, and inshallah, when we give them, everything will be very clear. Before we give them, I wanted to do two things. So, inshallah, today we do one, and then the next time we do the second one, and we give the answers. Inshallah. What we're going to try to do today, and I'm trying to keep it a little bit shorter, because I think it's, <clears throat> as a topic, it requires a little bit of concentration. It's late in the day. I don't want to kind of overload with the information. The point here is that we actually digest and understand all the points so that we can apply them. So what we're going to do today is present a number, we're going to call them rules. And there's a reason why we're going to call them rules, so we're going to introduce that when we get to it. They're going to be very useful later. So that the topic is not just dumped on you entirely. We're going to split it into these two parts. So maybe very quick recap. I think last time we met, we... We presented something like perhaps six or seven, I think seven reasons why we're studying this topic. So very quickly, without repeating the whole thing, maybe in three minutes, the reasons why we're talking about this problem of evil in the world. The first reason we said is a, actually a historical reason. And we explained that in the history of Islam, this problem became so big that people made the issue, because this issue falls under Al-Adl, so Al-Adl became one of the five main beliefs in Islam, especially for the Adliya. So it became Al-Tawheed, Al-Adl, Al-Nubuwa, Al-Imama, Al-Ma'ad. Al-Adl was not that before. Al-Adl was not its own asal. It was not its own foundational pillar of beliefs. It was Al-Tawheed, Al-Nubuwa. Where do we come from? Which is a question of Tawheed. How are we supposed to live and everything related to that? That's under Nubuwa. Everything that has to do with religion. And then, Al-Ma'ad, afterlife, the hereafter, the day, judgment day, all of that. 
That's the third. Where are we going and what's going to happen and how are we supposed to live given that? These are the three foundations. But then two of them, two more foundational beliefs were added. One of them is Al-Adl, one of them is Al-Imamah. So we're not at Imamah yet. We'll get back to it when we, when we get there, inshallah. We'll go over prophethood. And then Imamah is an extension of prophethood. So Al-Adl, one of the reasons why it was elevated is because of the huge issues and disagreements and problems in early Islam that were about this topic of divine justice. Is God a, is our God a just God or not? Is this world a just world or not? Is there injustice in it? Is there evil in it? What do we do with these problems of shurur, evils? And I'll, I'll talk today about that very quickly. Because the term can lead to confusion and it did not used to be all lumped together under the problem of evil in the world. They used to look at it from two angles and we'll explain that. So the first reason why this is an important topic is it's it reflects the entire history of the Islamic thought. Okay? So, historic reason. Let's call it the historical reason. The second reason, very quickly, and I think that's the entire purpose for why we're here, is that we're trying to have a correct belief system. So, we are studying this topic because this is one of the topics that pretty much any human being should at some point deal with. It's an important belief. So regardless of what your answer to the question is, the question should arise in your mind at some point if you have a mature mind, if you've been confronted to real problems in life, if you've ever wondered about deeper things than the superficialities of you know, your daily routine, at some point you have to wonder about the challenges, the difficulties, the problems in the world. You see wars and you see disease and poverty and oppression. You know people that are close to you that may get very sick or they may die and this makes you wonder, like, what is behind all of this, and why is this happening, and how is this possible in a just world, and how can a merciful, just God allow all of this to happen, okay? So, in order to have a correct belief system, you're supposed to address these major issues. If you don't have a, uh, an answer to these questions, there's something lacking in your belief system. Like, you don't have a complete belief. You're, 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 there's some stuff that you're, you're going to leave hanging. And because of that, it may trigger all sorts of other issues, okay? So that's the second reason. The third reason is, as we said, we've spent a lot of time talking about the existence of God and then the attributes of God. For instance, we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alim, so he has knowledge, he has power, he has will. The problem is that al-adl, which is, as we said, it should be one more trait, one more attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The truth is that, if you remember, we said some of them are more important than others because some of the attributes, they derive from others. So if you don't understand al-adl, if you do not understand divine justice properly, you are going to have problems with a lot of the other attributes. You're going to have huge problems with al-hikmah. Allah Hakim, Allah has wisdom, you're going to have huge problems with that. If you go to a rizq, you're going to say there are huge problems with that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does he divide, does he bestow, does he grant, does he give rizq and sustenance and mercy and anything that he gives? Does he, gives it, does he give it in a just manner or is it random? Does he do whatever he feels like doing and there's absolutely no order, there's no system, there are no rules? How is this working? How is this fair? 
So it has ramifications on everything we've said until now. So this is basically kind of like a missing link that is going to, inshallah, connect the dots on a lot of the things that we've said before. Um, very quickly, too, this is the link as well with things that we have not said yet, which is the next topic, as we said, is going to be the topic of prophethood. As soon as we're done with this, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a prophet? What is revelation? What is infallibility? What is a miracle? How do we know if someone is a prophet or not? How do we determine if it's a false prophet or a true prophet? This is general prophethood, so this applies to all prophets. And then we have specific prophethood. So this is when you look into a specific prophet, like the specific miracle of Musa, or the specific infallibility of Yusuf. Okay, so this, you have to look at a specific prophet, and then the most relevant for us is Prophet Muhammad How do we determine that he is a prophet? What is his miracle, and how do we know that it's a miracle, and we can rely on it, and so on and so forth. In order to go there, you need to have a clear understanding of divine justice. So divine justice has a link with prophethood, and we'll see that, inshallah, when we'll get to prophethood, but it needs to be clear now. And then the next one is, and even more clear of a link, is what happens in the afterlife. If, you, if your idea of divine justice is not clear, you are going to have issues with what's going to happen in the afterlife as a belief system. Is it going to be fair or not? Are the rewards, are the punishments, are the manners in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to deal with human beings, do, are they compatible with divine justice or not? So this, of course, the part that we are discussing right now has to do with this world, because this is what the majority of people are concerned with. But the secondary part of that is, of course, this has huge ramifications on the afterlife. If this is not a fair God, if it's not a just God, this is going to extend into the afterlife. And the problems there are going to be a lot bigger than the ones we have here. Because it's infinity and it's so on and so forth. Okay? And we'll talk about that inshallah. And then we added to this entire discussion, looking at it from a completely different angle, we said that the problem of evil in the world, the problems, challenges of the world, have very big effects, ramifications, repercussions on our psychology. If you are someone who believes that the world is just full of these problems and it's random and there's no meaning behind them, sooner or later you are going to be confronted with some very depressing uh, situations that will depress you, that will make you completely lost about what's the meaning of everything, what's the significance, why is this happening and what am I supposed to do with it? If you have a an understanding of the fairness of God, of the justice of God, of the type of world we live in, of why there are the problems that we have in the world, and that you, you see that this is not random, that there is a meaning behind it, that there is a retribution, that there is a way for all of this at some point to be rebalanced into something very fair, if this is your outlook on life, it's a completely different outlook then if your outlook is, this is just the way it is, you live and it's a really difficult life and then you die and that's it. Okay? So this is a psychological reason that is associated with what today everything under the heading of mental health. Social. And we said by, simply by saying that divine justice, al-adl, 
making it into one of the main foundational beliefs in our belief system, we are basically reminding ourselves and the world when you announce that this is my set of beliefs, this is how important justice is in my set of beliefs. In my interpretation of the world, in what matters to me. If I had to say five words to say everything I believe in, well, the second one is fairness and justice. That says a lot about where you're supposed to be coming from in terms of a belief system, a value system. Okay, so this is more of a social reason. Because justice has huge ramifications in society. And of course, this leads to social action and responsibility and awareness and so on and so forth. And as we said, the biggest, perhaps the biggest reason for discussing this is that this is one of the most important objections that we find today against belief in God. There are some people who are going to even be able to prove the existence of God through other means and they will be convinced by it. But because they are confronted with the problem of evil in the world and they can't resolve it, they go back to rejecting God or the existence of God. Because they are confronted with the ultimate question of how could a God, if he is truly powerful, if he is truly all-knowledgeable, if he is truly willing and free in his action, if he is truly merciful, how can he let all of this happen? Okay, and this is what we're going to answer in a lot more detail than we have until now. And inshallah is going to go very quickly. But if we do it in a very detailed manner, it's going to take a very long time. So what I'm proposing to do is that today what we start with is to present what we said we're going to call rules. Why are we talking about rules? I'm calling them rules because the truth is each one of these is going to be a very big topic that we are going to summarize in a few words. We're just going to say it in, you know, four, five, six words. That becomes your rule. Some of these we've already covered. We've taken lectures to cover them. Some of them we have not covered yet. And we most likely will not cover. Okay? And the reason is, each one of these would require a very lengthy, very detailed discussion. We don't have that time because we want to resolve this issue of evil in the world quickly. So are we going to give a detailed description and proof and evidence for each one of these proofs? No. Not here. Maybe in the future we will. For some of them you will see we have already covered them. But not in the words we're going to say. But you will right away recognize what we're saying and we're going to point them out. Does it mean that these are not valid because we're not providing the evidence now? We don't have the time to spend two, three hours, you know, providing all the proofs for each one of them? No, they're valid. Okay? We're just going to go quickly through them because the point here is evil in the world. These rules are not necessarily related to the problem of evil in the world. But we're going to use them as general rules. And then the next time when we meet, we're going to apply the rules to the evils in the world. And we're going to see the outcomes. And it will be very, very easy. Once the rules are just applied. Now I'm going to give you the key to these rules. 
The key to these rules, why they're good, even though we're now going to spend three hours to establish the logical necessity or validity of each of them, is that hopefully you will see with me that each one of these rules should be very intuitive. A normal human being who is not just trying to disagree and argue and just have a very you know, long debate about a topic, each one of these rules should reflect the manner in which we generally interact, understand the world. Okay? We're not trying to be really philosophical here. We're trying to be practical. So these rules are supposed to be practical rules, reflective of, generally speaking, how human beings view and understand what is good, what is wrong, and what is right, what is good, what is bad, what is evil, what is not evil. They're supposed to be representative of those. We're going to put these rules in place, and the point is, we're going to take them the next time, and we are going to apply them to the evils that we find in the world. And the answers should come out very quickly. Where does it fall? And we're going to see that there is not a ton of answers. There's perhaps four or five categories in which all the evils in the world are going to fall, and none of them are going to be evil. And it's not going to be plays on words. So let's start with a distinction that we have to make before we talk about the rules. In Arabic, the problem of evil in the world, if you go back to the books of you know, theology, beliefs, philosophy, a lot of the lectures that you hear, they call this ash-shurur, shubhat ash-shurur. Okay, the evil in the world, the problem of evil in the world. In Arabic, they call it ash-shurur. The problem is the term shurur is ambiguous. And if we just keep it at this level, which is what I have done until now, every time we've talked about it, I've kept it at this ambiguous level, just referring to all the problems in the world as evil in the world, and that's it. We're going to put them, we're not going to make a huge categorization and a huge list of different evils. Just two. Just two types, because that's fundamental. And this is going to be very important for you every time you're faced with an evil, or a problem, or a challenge, or someone says this is wrong, this is bad, this is... Start by making it fall into one of these two categories. Okay? In Arabic, the shurur is split into two categories. Category one is what has barar, which means harm. Okay? So an evil, when we say the problem of evil in the world, what is evil? It may mean, when someone says this is evil, it's because it generates harm. That's one category. Keep that in mind. So anything that is harmful may be evil. So is evil equal to harm? No, no. One type of evil is that which is harmful. Is that everything? No, there's another category that happens to fall under the, ca- the general heading of evil, that may or may not be harmful. And this is the whole distinction that we're trying to make first. Okay? These two, there's no equal sign between these two categories. There's no necessity between them. So one type is things that are harmful. Barar. The second type is things that are, in Arabic, they call them qabih. Qabih is a philosophical term. 
Al-Qubh is a philosophical term. It means, when we say it in English, the proper way to say it is things that ought not to be. What does that mean? Things that are morally wrong. Okay? So, if you think about something in itself, you say, is there a moral wrong in this? Okay? Slowly, I'm going to remove the term moral, but you're going to now have it in your mind. Every time I say wrong, you're going to remember I mean moral wrong. Okay, what do we mean? If you see an injustice, if you see oppression in the world, you can look at an act and you say, is, this some, is there something fundamentally wrong with that action? At an abstract level, when someone is committing an injustice against another human being, do you can, just by looking at it, can you say, this is wrong or not? Alaykum as wa rahmatullah. This is a moral wrong. Okay? Things that you can just look at with your reason, with your human mind, and you say this is wrong, it shouldn't be. You're going to say that this is, in Arabic they would say this is qabih. An example of qabih, for instance, someone who wastes their time. They decide to spend 10 hours doing something that everybody agrees is just a complete waste of time. Not harming anyone. Okay. With reason... Moral wrong and right, when you look at that, you say there's a moral wrong here. It's morally wrong to waste your time. Have you harmed? There's no harm. Okay? So this is where, by these examples, we start to see it is possible to harm without being tabih, and I'll give you an example, and it's possible to be tabih without being wrong. How? Let's say someone has transgressed, done something, abused someone else. They go in front of the judge and the judge punishes them. Says you have to pay back a thousand dollars. Or he punched you in the face, you're now allowed to punch him back in the face. Okay, let's say that's the judgment. If you go kind of anywhere in the world, unless someone wants to argue and make a whole thing, generally speaking, basic human principle. Someone hit you in the face, you hit them back in the face in the same manner. Same force caused same amount of damage. That's the intent. Did you cause harm or not? You did cause harm. You hit them and it hurt. Is that a moral wrong? You can't determine if it's a moral wrong or not unless you know the context. The context is this was in retribution. Or this was a punishment to a previous act, a prior act. So, is this an act that falls in the category of ought not to be, should not be, moral wrong? No. So when we talk about the problem of evil in the world, let's start by distinguishing. There are things that are morally wrong, and there are things that cause harm. Sometimes, the thing that causes harm, causes harm is also morally wrong. And sometimes the thing that is more wrong also causes Harm, but not always. Okay, so when we look at something, start. The evil needs to be split in two. Is it harmful? And is it a moral wrong or not? Okay, if you say like this is disloyalty, this is injustice, this is oppression, right away, moral wrong, moral wrong, moral wrong. May or may not lead to harm. We have to look. Okay, 
So that's the first distinction. We're now talking about the definitions of evil. And I won't spend more time on that. There's more we can say, but this should be enough. With that, we can now jump into the rules. These rules, we're going to save them quickly. We're not going to spend a ton of time on each. If they're not clear, ask for clarification. Otherwise, as we said, we are not trying to prove them philosophically today. Okay, we don't have time for that. And there are nine of them. Okay, so I'm not expecting people to memorize them by heart. And I'm hoping that you will see that for all of them, you should be able to agree with them intuitively. Just like when we said, you know, someone may argue that if someone hits you in the face, you should not hit them back in the face. Of course we can argue. And maybe there's something better to do, there's a higher... But basic human intuitive rationality, without going into charity and without going into generosity and other some higher values of spirituality and something else, there's no issue there. Rationally, there is no issue in hitting someone back in the face just like they hit you in the face. Okay? If there is an issue that's imposed from the outside, let's say it that way. So, as we said, why are we talking about the... Why are we talking about rules? Because we want to summarize the whole discussion very quickly in maybe two sittings and we're done. Okay, so we're not going to go into all the evidence and all the proofs and arguments for each one of these rules. One last point before we mention the rules. In order to solve the problem of evil in the world, and we will repeat that, inshallah, next time so that it's fresh, there are a few things that we have to kind of take for granted. Because we don't want to talk about the topic in forever. There's a few things that let's accept for now. And hopefully they have become clear to all of you. The reason I'm mentioning this is that in case you are in this kind of debate. Or you're listening to two people. Or reading a book. Or watching a movie. Or a debate or whatever. And you see that the problem of evil in the world is being discussed. I'm going to give you three, we're going to call them axioms, okay? So these things that you have to believe in, suppose that they are true, take them for granted, and if you feel that two people are discussing the problem of evil in the world, and these three issues have not been resolved first, then the problem is, it's a waste of time to discuss the problem of evil in the world. Because you need to solve these three problems first. Okay? We're not going to discuss them now. They should be very clear to you, and you'll see it, inshallah, when we mention them. The first problem, or the first issue that should be very clear to everybody, is that this world has a creator. That's one. I'm not going to waste time discussing whether there is evil or not in the world if I don't still don't know whether you believe in the existence of a God, and a God with certain attributes. So this God has to have knowledge, and to have power, has to be able to act freely. It has to be an independent, autonomous, self-sufficient God. The God that we presented. If that's not the God we're discussing, why are we talking about the problem of evil in the world? What's the issue? There's no issue of problem of evil in the world. You know, let's say you're a materialist. You don't have the problem of evil in the world. That's not a problem to you. The world just is, and it's uh, material interactions. There's no way for you to say they're evil or not. You can't say something is morally wrong or not if all there is is just matter. There's only a discussion about evil in the world if there's a personal God 
who decides himself to act in a certain way. Yes. Sorry, I thought, I thought this is an argument they use to say that God doesn't exist. So it's two. There's two types. There are rububiyin, who these are people who will believe in a God, but not the personal God who sends religions and all of that. They may believe in a God, but they say, yeah, it could be a God that is kind of evil and a jerk. That's possible. But today, this is a minority. The majority of those who talk about evil in the world, they are trying to show that that God does not exist. And well, inshallah, we're going to answer that. But we have to agree that this is what we're discussing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's like four different big ways to formulate the question, and that's I'm like trying to skip through. Uh, but yes, fundamentally, that's what it is. If this is a merciful, powerful God as you claim it to be, then how come there is this evil? How would he allow, or how would he, even worse, how would he do all of this evil? Why would he create the evil? Why would he do it? Or why would he, if he's not doing it, why does he let it happen? Where is he in all of this? Okay? That's one. The second thing. The second issue is, and again, this one we talked about, and I don't want to repeat it. We said it's kind of a philosophical discussion that was the source of the whole problem of evil and divine justice in Islam which is, can, can our reason, can our human mind recognize good and bad in itself? Or do we need religion to tell us this is good and this is bad? We talked about that. Okay, and we said, actions, not the details, but actions in general, the actions that carry an intrinsic good and bad in themselves, something, for instance, like charity, or some, something like, re-establishing justice after you've seen injustice. We said like any human being sitting somewhere and you see there's an orphan in the street. Let's take like the worst case scenario. So let's make it very clear. There's an orphan sitting alone in the street. Someone passes by, gives them like a piece of fruit or bread. The next person comes and steals it from them and hits them and takes it away and goes away. You're just sitting and watching this whole scenario. And then someone else comes and does something to that person and takes it back and gives it back to the orphan. Anyone who watches that scenario should be able to, without, whether they are a religious person or not, whether they believe in a scripture and a God or not, they should be able to say, there is something good that happened here, there's something then bad that happened, and then something else good that happened. Right? This part is what we have been talking about when we said, can the human mind on its own recognize some, in some things good and bad on its own? This does not mean that my mind can tell me I have to pray and the prayer has to be an al-fajr and it has to be rukatian. This is not the same discussion. Now we're talking about moral wrong and right. Salat al-subah, rukatian, al-fajr is not a moral wrong and right. Okay, it's an imposed law. It's a convention. It's just like when a society decides that we're going to put a red light here and you're going to stop at the red light. They could have chosen another color, but they decided that it's a light and that it's red, and these are the laws around it. There's no moral reason for this. It's a convention. People agreed and imposed, and that's it. Yeah. But you said the person doesn't have to be religious, but isn't it religion that's showing us that this is morally wrong or right? No, so this is where we say our religion, our 
instinct or nature recognizes the moral right and wrong, and our religion confirms it. But it's not our religion that's making this act wrong. This act is wrong in itself. And our religion confirms that this is wrong. And so it's going to add drivers and motivations and uh, incentives to do or not to do. So it's going to give you more incentive. If you help someone, if you give charity, religion says, and this is a good act in itself. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to motivate you more to do even that act, which is already good in itself, and I'm going to give you a reward for it. Okay? Or the opposite. This is something that's bad in itself. It's wrong in itself. And to even help you further, because we're going to talk about that, inshallah, about this problem of the difficulties in life, and what, what does it mean when we say something is difficult, it's because there's something attractive in doing the, the wrong, okay? There's a reason why this person did what they did. There's always a reason. That's always a battle. You're always choosing. So religion will come and say, one, layer one, I recognize with you, human being, I recognize that this is wrong. Everybody should see this is wrong. And this should be enough. But religion is going to say, no, 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 this is not enough. I'm going to help you even more. I'm going to tell you, if you go there and you do that, I'm going to punish you. So now you have an incentive. In addition to recognizing it's just bad in itself, and that you should not do it in the first place, religion is going to motivate you not to do it further, by saying, and if you do, I'm going to punish you if you do it. But it should not even have to do that in reality. Okay? That's, that was the second. And so the difference here, yeah, like we said, you know, like the, the case of the red light. The red light is not a moral or moral right or wrong. It's an imposed. If you come to religion, let's say we come to religion. The whole discussion about whether you can play chess or not. So let's say there's a scholar that says you are not allowed to play chess in Islam. Okay. So is there a moral wrong with playing chess? No. This becomes a convention. This is something imposed by religion on you, but there's no moral wrong or right. This is part of the test. This is part of... It's no different than society. In one society, they decide to say, green light, you go. Red light, you stop. Which is different than saying, if you kill someone, that's a bad action. This is a moral wrong. Any human being will recognize that. Okay? I know that's a whole, a whole discussion. I'm not saying it is or isn't. Go back to your scholar and, <laughs> and look up their rasana. Okay, which is different than saying, for instance, an injustice. You see an injustice, any human being will recognize it. I'm just trying to make it clear that there are more moral wrongs and rights, and those are instinctive to human beings. And then there are other things that are by convention. Okay, that's the second point. So there is a creator in the world, personal, with all the traits we describe. One. So we're not going to talk about all of that because we already have. Should be clear. But if those three points are not clear, the third one being that human beings have the freedom to choose how they act. And we spent enough time on that that we don't want to repeat it. Every human being should feel intrinsically that they are capable, intuitively, internally. You should feel that when you act, when you're performing an action, it is actually you who is performing that action. And you're not being controlled by remote control from outside. Okay? No one can 
say, like, why did you do it? I say, it wasn't me. My arm was moving on its own, and my legs were moving on their own, and I slapped them in the face. <laughs> okay? Like you, and that's an issue. And we said, you know, if we go back to a purely materialistic theory, understanding of the world, they have some explaining to do. Because they say it's all chemical interactions, physical interactions, genetic interactions, leading to every act. It's a cause and effect. It's predetermined. You can't change anything about that. Matter cannot explain free will. End of story. Go back and research it to death, and you'll see if you can find any argument against that one. So those three, we're going to call them axioms. We're going to call them things that we're taking for granted without spending any more time trying to prove them. Okay? Those three, three in mind, we're now going to go into the rules. We said that there are nine rules. Wait, we're not in the rules yet? We're going to start the rules. No, we're not. Now I'm going to start what the rules. Those three then? I call them axioms. Okay? So an axiom is, and this is the reason why I said those, I'm making a distinction. It's a good, good question. Maybe I went a little fast. I'm saying this is good for you. But it's also good if you listen to a debate or you are in a debate and someone enters with you and starts like, well, how do you explain the problem of evil in the world? I would start by saying, well, first of all, do you believe in God? Or not? One. Two, do you believe that we are able to distinguish between moral wrongs and moral rights? Or not? Two, which should be very secondary and quick. And do you believe that we have a free will? And we are freely ourselves choosing every action. We're going to need this. If the person says no, it's predetermined, I'm not going to discuss the problem of evil in the world. There's no point. If the person does not believe that every human being is free to do what they want, I'm not going to be able to staple the responsibility of their action on them. I'm going to put everything, bring everything back to God. Which, I need this as a a very important point. We, can, we, we need an answer for the rest, but as human beings, we're different. I'm not like a tree or a mountain or an earthquake. I need an explanation for human action. And human action is a free action. A human being is conscious and free. They, are, they know what they're doing and they still do it. And they have been given the power to do it. Okay, so to go there, I need to agree with the person that this person is free, right? We agree both that they chose to do this action, right? Okay, now we can talk about the problem of evil in the world. So which evil are we talking about? And depending on which evil, you follow the rule and it falls in one of the explanations. Okay? Yes. Uh, I just wanted to thank you because uh, actually, if I didn't know the, that things are naturally in themselves are good, and that God uh, imposes instrumental motivation to do so, I, I wouldn't have known because I, uh, like, late, like, last week I came across the Yiktora's Dilemma that they teach in uh, philosophy in university, and if I had not known the answer, the book never tells you the answer. It just tells you the dilemma, which makes you even, like, more, uh, it complicates it in your head. So what's the dilemma? It's uh, our, uh, our, our, uh, our, uh, act, are actions good because uh, God says so, or uh, God says so because they are good, and yeah. like a simple form? So this question was the origin of the 
big difference or disagreement between Ash'ara and Mu'tazila, who are the biggest two groups of belief in Islam. There are four madhahib of Sunnis in law and the Ja'fari madhab, so we have five in law, so in practice, and in beliefs, usually people only talk about law. So they say there are Hanbali, Maliki, Hanafi, Shafi'i, and Ja'fari. And no one talks about the beliefs. In beliefs, it doesn't follow those. You may be Hanbali, but you know, usually you're going to be Ash'ari, okay? But generally speaking, Ash'ara and Mu'tazira have nothing to do with those four. This is how you apply the law. This is what you believe. And what you believe, you fall on only two. You're either Ash'ara, who believe that it's only bad because God said it is. It's only bad because God or the religion or Islam said, don't do it. And it's only good because God said. This is what the Ash'ara say. Mu'tazila say, no, it's your reason. And then the problem, so this is what the dilemma. The problem is, so there's something that's being imposed on God. No, it's not. It's the nature of the thing in itself. God created it in that manner. It has its own good or bad within itself. It's not your reason that is being imposed on God. And that's the problem that they're getting, trying to get to, and that becomes the dilemma. And they try to make it look like God is ironic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, it's a good one. Okay, so the rules. After the axioms, so the axioms, as we said, they're not the rules, Sayyid. The axioms are not the rules. It's a good question. But make sure that those three are very clear before you enter into the discussion of... Like a checklist before any discussion. Yes. Now what are we trying to do with the rules? We're going to give ourselves a set of rules that allows us to quickly, when we're going to do it, apply when we see an evil. And given those rules, the evil is going to land in a category. And the categories, we're going to see them next week, the categories, there's not a ton of them, there's maybe four or five, and the categories don't end up creating evil in the world. So these rules are going to create the categories, and once we apply them, everything falls under those categories. Okay? Rule number one. This one should have become clear now, so we're, we're not going to spend too much time on it. But for someone who believes in God, and the God that we established, the God that we proved, if you believe that it is a wise God, if you believe that it's a self-sufficient God, a God that does not need any other creature, entity, I can't say creature, any other entity to exist, a God that has no needs, that's why we say it's an absolute. That's why we said a necessary being. That kind of God will never do the ought not. Will never do the moral wrong. That's rule number one. Okay? Why? We talked about that, but in summary we said, if... Any actor, any agent, any actor does something, someone who doesn't act, they do something, there has to be a reason for doing something. Even when we do, or we don't do, there's always an answer. There's always a reason. To do this moral wrong, to do the qabih, to do the thing that you should not do, here are the possibilities. Either you say this God does not know, or that God knows but can't help it, 
Or he knows and he has a power, but he has no will. He doesn't feel like it. And we already answered all of those given the attributes that we gave when we proved them one by one. And we said the God that we believe in must be, by necessity, it must be an all-knowledgeable God. And we spent a lot of time talking about the knowledge of God. Therefore, he cannot not know. Okay, so that's not the, cannot be the reason why you do the evil. You can't say he's doing evil because he doesn't know. And we can't say he's doing the evil because he knows, but he can't. He can't help it. Because we prove that it, that entity, the necessary being, is also all-powerful. Right? And we also proved, that's two, we also proved that it cannot be a foolish entity, because we call that wisdom. Otherwise, all actions, we said, is it, he has power, he has will, so does he do anything he feels like doing all the time? No. Everything is done based on wisdom. And we said wisdom is what is giving everything what it needs for its purpose. If you keep that in mind, you will never have any reason to produce what they're referring to as evil. That's rule number one. And we talked about that, so we're not repeating. Okay? There's a couple of reasons we've already established. Yeah? Do we have to establish those, like the evidence for it, one where... No, no, not necessarily. But ideally, yes. If you really want to go into the details with someone, of course. But you won't necessarily have to. Okay? You'll see the categories may or may not be entirely satisfying for the person who doesn't want to believe in God. But logically, there will be no more evil you cannot just say it's evil. Evil has to fall into one of these categories, and none of these categories have anything morally wrong with them. And can they be harmful? Sure they can. There can be harm. But we said there can be harm without being morally wrong. And we gave examples, and there will be others. Okay? The second rule. The second rule is that, and we talked about that, we said there is no creature that really has a right on God. In what way? Is that if you are something that has been created by God, you can't really go back to God and say, I have a right over you. You are trespassing on my right. You have no right. And the example I asked you to do is to create something in your mind. Let's say I, I asked you to create, let's say, an apple or, or a little, I don't know, snowman in your mind. And then do whatever you want to do to that snowman. Don't tell me what you're doing. <laughs> Okay? Can that snowman morally, can that snowman come back and say you are, you know, trespassing, abusing of my rights? Does that snowman have any rights upon you? Or not? Do we have any legal system in the world that says you cannot do as you want to with anything that you create in your own mind? No. Imagine it. Close your eyes and create a snowman right now. Yeah, but like, like, and then take a bomb and make it go through his head. I don't know what to yeah. say. Yes, yes. Yes? Like not in real life. Because you can't create Even something in real life. you a snowman in real life. You understand? Yeah, but I want to go further. I want, I want a, someone who can like manipulate entirely something. Do, do you understand? Because I want to say... But when I create something, yeah. I give it feelings. 
Okay, hits no man has feelings. <laughs> okay. You're going to feel bad when you're getting like, exactly kind of So your snowman in your mind, does it have feelings? Yes. Okay, so... If I can create anything, why not? Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I want you to do. Does that snowman really have rights on you? Yeah, it kind of does. Because, <laughs> bro, so if there's something to it, are we allowed to take you to jail? That's what he's saying. Like, is there a can law? I, can I say, can I say, yo, what are you doing to your stomach? You're not allowed to that. Yeah, I would say you, 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 you could, you would. Because, like... I go to jail, man. <laughs> I know what you did to the stomach. Look, man, I anticipate a lot of questions when I prepare these talks. That was completely... <laughs> <laughs> you took me out of like surprise. <laughs> yes, tell my son. Yes. Is that really considered creation or... No. Yeah, so this is what... The son has rights on the father. Because the son has not been created. That's why the closest thing I can say is create something in your mind. We can't create anything in the outside world in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates. Which is, you create from nothing. Like the snowman that you're creating is not from nothing. Is based on pictures and things and experiences you've had in your life, and you can put them together in a way that creates a snowman. Yeah. Uh, my question is, uh, like, do we have rights on God? Yeah. So the answer, the short answer is no, we don't. We don't. No. Does God say we don't? But wait. So I'm gonna God say two exceptions. Yeah. So there are two exceptions to that, and I hadn't mentioned them. I just want to explain. <laughs> but then I have this <laughs> snowman with Felix here. <laughs> yeah. My point is. generosity right mm -hmm. so from his intrinsic generosity could it be possible that he allow us to have rights on him or mm -hmm. so there are two exceptions to us the statement the rule it has two exceptions so that's in the explanation of the rule the rule is nothing has rights on god except two so in arabic they say aqli and jali so what's aqli it's a rational exception which is it is not befitting of Allah, it's not befitting of anyone to punish, which is different than harm, to punish without sin, to punish without mistake. That's a rational rule. That's one. Two, if Allah says, I have self-imposed, if I've created a rule, you know, look at she, you saw something? It's not going to attack me? No, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imposed a rule on himself, He self-imposed mercy on himself. Okay, that's different. We're not saying anyone has a right. He's saying he imposed something on himself, which is different. Okay? So one is he doesn't do anything that's not befitting. And the really only one that falls here that we should keep in mind for the problem of evil in the world is it's not befitting to punish without sin. To punish without mistake. One. And two... 
You okay? You with me? Yeah. And two, if he self-imposes. If he says, these are things that I promise never to do. And it's not that I have a right over him. I have no right. He created a rule for himself. That he will never do something. He will always do something. Now that's good. Has nothing to do with me. Okay? Yeah. Never do something like what? Like a like a mistake or like what like what? No, like for instance, how he was he will treat his creatures. That's the, the point of the evil. So basically if I promise to throw man something, yeah. then he has the right over me and that. He no, doesn't have he just a right. Promised he just... But if I promised him it. Yes. So to like to simplify it, you can say he has a right, but he has no right. Whether he exists or not, until you created a rule for yourself that you will always follow. I, I heard, I, I heard the saying that it says, whenever somebody says something and yeah. then says they say but, yeah. they erase everything they said before. Okay, but that's just a saying. Yeah, this is just for talking. <laughs> no, I don't. It's, it's right. Yeah, no, yeah. It's so what did I say? But when you know, like it's like it's like you have no right over the creator except, except. yeah. So basically, there like there's except like you can't. Don't look at that on its own. Yes, that's true. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah, so, God, as a creature, you have no right over God. Except. Okay, So what are the two exceptions? Is if, 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 you, if the creature punishes without uh, the creator, sin. Without the creator. If the creator, if the creator punishes. punishes without the, like a mistake. Yeah. And who are really you should say to be clear if it's if it's the owner punishes without sin that's how it's said yeah to be technically accurate and uh, the second the is second he self-imposed if he if he self-imposes yeah. on himself then you have the right to tell him you so like so to make it easier for you the truth is these two don't fall here okay I mean, I'm summarizing the but is just because I'm trying to collapse a lot of things together in a rule for you okay the truth is, nothing has a right over God because He's a creator. End of story. That's done. Now we go to... Yeah, we're in the second one. I thought we would move a lot faster. <laughs> okay. Now, there is another rule that has nothing to do with any of this. It's how does God work? And we could take that one, which is, Allah is never going to punish without mistake, without sin. We could put it under the first one. We could take it and put it under the first rule, which is Allah will never do qabih. Because he's not ignorant, because he's all-powerful. So he has knowledge, he has power, he has will, and he's self-sufficient. So nothing from outside of him should push him to ever do something that he should not do, that is not befitting to do. And that includes punishing without mistake. Okay, that's the truth. This only I'm trying to say it in a way that's more simple, that everybody gets it. So I I made them sin <laughs> of saying but <laughs> or accept. Yeah. Okay? Because we're trying to make it very concrete. The concrete thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a creator, there is no right over him. That's if we don't look at anything else, basically. Yeah, and that's the truth. He's the ultimate creator. He creates from nothing. Of course. Your snowman does not have a right over you. And if you say that. I imposed a rule that's not your snowman. There, there's still no right. You didn't give the right to the snowman. That's an addition after I created. And it's it's something imposed by you on yourself. It's it's not the, the right. Thing? How about the first thing? That, that one isn't imposed on me. That came 
Intuitive. Yes. And the first one is it's not befitting. And that falls under husn qubh aqli. Is the thing in itself wrong? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not do it because he has no reason to do it. Okay? That's rule two. Rule three. Rule three is if there is someone who does an act, they are responsible for the act and the effects of the act. Clear? Clear. Let's make it a little bit more complex. I'm not saying but. <laughs> He's going to delete the whole lesson from his mind. Okay. Let's say, take two examples. Example one. Look, at Kufachi, there's something that they say when, when they teach in Kalam and philosophy because they're very nuanced topics. It's a very abstract. And please keep this in mind for all the time when we talk. They always say, Al-Mithal, or Al-Mithal, يُقَرِّبْ مِنْ وَيُبَعِدْ مِنْ أَلْفْ Okay, why do they say that? What does it mean? They say when you give an example of something, why do you give an example? It's because there's something that you think as a speaker that is more clear to the mind of the listener than the point you're making. So you give an example because that's clearer from one aspect and that's the aspect that you're trying to prove as a point. But of course if you take the example from a thousand other angles because you're looking at the example in itself you're going to say, but that's different in this way, and it's different in that way, and it doesn't apply here. Okay? So you have to concentrate on what we're trying to prove with an example. Okay? Anyways, so let's go back to the point. The point is, when an actor acts, they are responsible for their action and the effects of their action. Number three. The example... Someone takes an arrow, puts it in a bow, and shoots someone, and they hit them. Okay? And they injure them. Good? Okay. Example two. They take the arrow and the bow from their friend. I tell my friend I want to shoot that person with your bow and arrow, so he gives me the bow and arrow, and I shoot the person with them. The means for doing the action came from my friend. And I still am the one who did the action. Who's responsible for the action? Yeah. But did your friend know? That yeah, they knew. The yeah, they knew. Then. Okay. So now we're going to put legal systems aside. We're talking moral and moral right and moral wrong. The, the friend is... <laughs> You have someone who shoots someone else with a bow and arrow. And they injure them. They shoot a snowman in the mind of their friend. <laughs> with a bow and arrow. How did I get in your mind? <laughs> Example one, you shoot someone with your own means. Example two, you shot someone and you injured them, but with the means that came from someone else. So who's responsible? Morally, like bare bones philosophically and morally, the person who committed the act is responsible for the act. In this case, we would say, and they had an accomplice. The means came from someone else, but they're not equally responsible. Yes? 
Okay? There is a responsibility on the other person. But this person is responsible for their own action if both of them are free agents and this person decided that this is what I'm going to do with that. Yeah. So are you basically someone, uh, saying someone motivated another person to shoot an arrow on a It could be. That's, that's if we want to add more complexity. I would tell you, there's someone who just walked in. Go and beat him up. <laughs> so wouldn't... wouldn't <laughs> he looked inside. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the motivator be... Uh, like they're both... They're both guilty. Alaykum as wa rahmatullah. But the motivator, wouldn't he be uh, um, of a higher guilt? It depends. If I have a, a power over you, yes, of course I am. Yeah, I give you an order and you have to obey the order. And if you don't, I don't know, I kill you, worst case scenario, or I stop being your friend, very weak. So this is a power that I have. So I'm abusing of that power to make you do that. I'm just asking you because I want to clear in my head uh, who is of more guilt, uh, the people who ordered the killing of Imam Hassan alayhi Okay, don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. <laughs> I am keeping it very simple. Okay, we're going to go back. Yes, we are going to go back to all of that. It's all I'm trying to do with the rules. We're not looking at the evils yet. All we're trying to do with the rules is to say, basic rule number three, if someone commits an act, they are responsible for the act and the effects of that act. One. Two, if there's an intermediary and the intermediary is fully conscious, fully aware, able to handle the entire knowledge and free to choose how they want to act, free to choose how they want to act, they are responsible for their own action. That's it. That's all I want. Who is more or less guilty? I'm not talking about that. The intermediary, the one who does the action at the end, that's the person I'm looking at. Are they responsible for what they did or not? Even though the means, even though the motivation, even though whatever came from someone else, at the end, are they responsible entirely for what they did or not? Yes, they are. 100% for their own behavior. Now, there might be a 50% or 80% on the other person too. But for this act from this person, if they were free to do so, they're entirely responsible for their own action. Okay? Okay. Yes? Am I not also responsible for supplying you with yes. the means to Yes, to yes, that? yeah. Or ordering. Or ordering, ordering so which is even so worse. still be in the act that I did, I'd be 100% responsible for 100%, that. yes. But they are also. The intermediary is the one who is responsible for that act. Because he could have chosen not to do it. Okay? Okay. Four. And I think we, we spent a, a little bit of time on that, so I don't want to impose it more, but there is no necessary link between something that is morally wrong, not befitting, and something that is harmful. Something may be harmful, it harms someone, but no one can say this is not befitting. For example, punishing someone when they deserve it. Okay? But if you punish in an exaggerated manner, abusive manner, of course, you fall under the first category. Now you fall under the non-befitting and it's harmful. And someone may be, something may be not befitting, but it's not harmful. You decide to walk naked in the street. Not befitting, not harmful. Right? Okay, it depends who you are. <laughs> okay, next, rule five. So that's four rules. Rule five. 
Now we're going to detail this, the rules. In fact, the first, some of the rules that we gave until now, with those, you're supposed to be able to answer any question related to the evil of the world. But still, we're going to detail them more to create more specific categories. Hatta, we have a lot more to work with, okay? To be more nuanced and leave nothing for chance and ambiguity. Harm as equal punishment is not a moral wrong. So we use that as an example already. Someone does something very bad and you punish them. That punishment, if it's equal to the harm they did, then there is nothing morally wrong with what you did. You may, as I said, someone may come back and want to argue. As a general basic human principle, this is accepted. Humanity has functioned with this forever. And that's why something like the Code of Hammurabi was considered such a huge deal when it was found because it dates between you know, 4,000 or 6,000 or 8,000 years. And right there and there it says, you know, an eye for an eye, a hand for a hand, an ear for an ear, which says from the first, the time of the first code of law that is documented in human beings, we see that they've been following this. Now, you may decide to apply charity. You may do extra. You may forgive. That's always better, that you can do better. But as a basic right... Equal for equal, end of story. Okay, yes. Like, yes, equal for equal, end yeah. of story, right? It's morally right, but by law, you'd, yeah. still, you'd still get arrested if you like, or do something would happen to you if. What the, about religiously, though? Like, are yeah. you still wrong? Well, there's a way to apply it. Okay. Like, religiously, you're supposed to apply it in a way that is still religiously okay. You don't just do whatever, however, and... Like there are laws, you're not supposed to create any, do anything that may lead to chaos in society, for instance. Instability in society. If you do any of that, Islam does not agree. So if you start seeing, like maybe there was a time when it was a very primitive, very simple, rudimentary society, it's very different than, let's say, at the time of Imam Ali salam, when he starts creating a very clear legal system and a very clear executive branch to the government. And it's not a free-for-all where everybody just goes and says, this was my right, so I went and punched him in the face. No, no, you go to the judge and you prove your case and they prove their case and let's see what's the right retribution here. Okay? So, let's say, you know, the Quran th- talks about this. And it, of course, uh, you know, a, what do you do? A killing for a killing? What if you killed someone by mistake? You go and kill someone and this person is a believer? So what do you do there? Okay, so there are a lot of cases where like there are loopholes and you have to go to a judge and a qadi like who is shari'i who knows Islamic law and they'll tell you in each case what's the right way to do it. Okay? <clears throat> Retribution or justice for the oppressed is not bad. So, you have someone Nothing has happened to you, but you notice that something has happened to someone else, an oppressed, and so you do something as a retribution, you do something to reestablish that justice for that oppressed, for that person whose right or whose justice has been abused. That act is not considered a not befitting act, even though it may generate harm. Again, okay? So it's just another angle, same theme. Seven. Sometimes someone may voluntarily or not 
They may be harmed for the benefit of someone else. For instance, someone who sacrifices and pays charity, for instance. They willfully, freely, voluntarily decided to take money out of their own pocket and give it to someone else. In those cases, rewarding that person is very befitting. Okay, so now we're looking at the other angle. So we ought to reward the person who has been harmed, intentionally or not, voluntarily or not. Someone has been harmed for the benefit of another. So if I pay charity, it's because I'm helping someone else. For the benefit of another, I did something. I ought to be rewarded somehow for what I did. This is befitting. It reestablishes justice. I went out of my way, or I was taken out of my way, to help another. For that, I should be rewarded. That reward is a good thing. It's a good thing to reward someone for having been harmed to benefit someone else. Okay? I think it should be intuitive, clear enough, if, if it's understood. Okay? Last two rules. These two go together, and the entire discussion next time we meet is going to have to be about these two rules. The first one, or, you know, let's say number eight, some benefits are only possible through harm. So, very easy example is, you want to be in shape, you have to go work out. And working out is exhausting and difficult and painful and you're sore and you have to watch your diet and it's all of that. Okay? Is there harm? Yes, there is harm. Some benefits are only possible through harms. Okay? You need to pass. Tomorrow there's an exam and you haven't studied. You're going to stay up all night and work. That's a harm. You have to. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you get that. Okay. So this, let's, these are the simple examples. We're going to take a lot more complex examples the next time. But that's the rule. Some benefits are only possible through harm. Okay? I'm not going to say most or all benefits are possible through harm. Are only possible through harm. But we may have to say that in the kind of world we live in. Anyways, that's one. And two, or the last one, the ninth rule. There's two things related to this last rule. It has to do with tests or tribulations or challenges or difficulties or examinations or call them what, what you want. Tests, pardon me? Midterms. midterms. You can call them midterms. <laughs> Sometimes they're finals. Tests are good in themselves, but they are only possible through harm. And this rule requires some talking requires some explanation. The test itself, and it's linked to the previous rule, some benefits are only possible through harm. Tests and tribulations are good in themselves. Why? They lead to benefits. Because they lead to the benefit. Which is the previous rule. Some benefits are only possible through harm. 
Tests and benefits are one of those types. Tests and benefits are good in themselves, but they always require harm. Otherwise, it's not a test. What about someone who's tested with, with wealth and knowledge? That's a test. Then that's harm. What do you do with it? That's the test, but how is the, the no, test harm? patient and not spending it in the haram way when you see it being more attractive to you, that's... The That's patience the itself is a harm, you know, like just staying and not doing something. So what we're going to do next time, it's a very good, re- all of these are very good reactions. That's exactly what we're going to do. But right now it's kind of ambiguous, right? It's vague. We're going to make it into very clear categories. We're going to put this problem, because really it comes down to this problem of harm and test. Next time, and once we do that, it's going to be very clear. We're going to look at what the Qur'an says, specifically the Qur'an, to make it short. What the Qur'an says about this notion of test. And what does the Qur'an say about the notion of harm? Once we understand these two, then we will have all of the categories of things that people refer to as evil in the world. And we will see how everything falls in one of them, and none of them actually are evil. Because they fall into one of the rules that we described today. Okay? okay? And with this, we will inshallah complete this topic. And if you want to kill it to death, we'll spend one more week on it. Otherwise, that's it. And then we'll move inshallah to general prophethood right after that. Good? I just have a question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the for the ninth one, he said there's there's two types. He only said I think one. I think he said the eighth and the ninth are related. No, no, no. When you go, when you got to the ninth. Yes. You would divide it again into two. Yes. So, the ninth rule is one. It's about tests and tribulations. Yeah. One, tests and tribulations are good in themselves. Yeah. And the explanation, as we will say next week, is because they lead to benefits, which brings us to the previous rule. Benef- some benefits require harm. In the case of tests and tribulations, which are, one, good in themselves, two, they are always harmful. A test and tribulation is always harmful. It is not a test and tribulation if it's not harmful. So if we're going to show that the entire point of our existence is to be tested, then we've resolved a lot of the issues by saying that tests and tribulations are good in themselves, but they need to be harmful. Which does not mean that they are evil. Okay? It's not kabih. It's not a not befitting. It's harmful, but it's beneficial. And the benefit is greater. Yes? In the beginning you said there's two... Definitions of evil or tabih, yeah, and harm. Barar, yes. Yeah, so if, if it causes harm, it's still considered evil, isn't it? So that's why I'm saying when you confuse all the terms, we are going to jumble all of them up and call them evil. Okay, so what we're doing is saying that evil is basically just moral wrong. It has to come down to this because we have to force the other person to say, What do you mean by evil? That's what we're going to do. We're going to explain our theory. And we're going to tell them, what do you mean by evil? 
And we've already given one full explanation, by the way. Which is like relative evil. We've already given all of that. Okay? There's two options. It's either one that it's harmful but not morally wrong, or it's morally wrong and sometimes harmful as well. No, no, don't say the but. And to force them to say which one of these two are we talking about. Most likely, they will say both. And we're going to show them that I, as a starting point, I agree with you. But down the road, we're going to see that things that are harmful are not necessarily bad. You may have things that are harmful and they're actually beneficial. So what's wrong with that? You can't just say because something is harmful automatically, it's one of the evils in the world. So I'm forcing them to change their definition. And that's why I said the problem is today, even in Arabic, they call it, you know, shurur. Shubhat al-shurur or mas'alat al-shurur. Shurur is just evils. If you go back in history, a lot of our scholars, mutakallimeen, they used to split those. And they say there are things that are al-qabih, la yasduru al-qabih. Okay? What is befitting and not befitting to come out of God? Can God produce not befitting? Does God produce non-befitting? These are the two big issues. One. And then they look at the problem, they call them Mas'alat al-alam, which is pains, or what, what we're referring to as harms, things that are harmful. These were, used to be treated under a general heading, but they were looked at as different, different issues. Today, everything is lumped together, and now whatever answer you give has to apply to all of it. Sorry, it's not all the same. Making you go through a test in one way is different than making you go through a test in a different way. In one of them, you control your test is your own free choice. Here, the test is you control nothing and you're forced to go through something very difficult and you've done nothing about it. Right? So it's an evil that's imposed on you. Imposed on you as, for instance, the evils that befall animals, the evils that befall babies, the evils that befall very innocent people. They've done nothing wrong and this is coming their way. al-Majani. Sometimes they refer to it in Arabic. Okay? This is a problem, an evil that comes to you and maybe I can explain it for someone else. I can justify it for some, But for the baby who's done nothing and they get killed, it's a little bit more difficult to explain. And we're going to explain it with these rules. Okay, we're going to find the answer to this. What do we do with those cases? Mm-hmm. When you said, the, I think the sixth rule or the seventh, you said that the uh, punishing the people who oppress yeah. a retribution yes. is harmful but not in, intuitive evil. It, yeah, it's not. Um, yeah. But so can can you say that that and the one on top of it is the same thing? The, the one yes. On top is they go exactly together. Yes. Yeah. But there's a reason why we're splitting them in that level yeah, of detail. Yeah. How do we make it very clear when we're going to apply them? Okay.